1: Hey everyone, this is Roman Pokopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience podcast. Today I have with me Alain Hunkins. Alain is the author of Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. He's a sought after leadership speaker, consultant, trainer, and coach. Thank you for joining me today.
0: Thank you, Roman, for having me. I'm really excited about our conversation.
1: My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today?
0: Sure thing, Roman. You know, interesting because when you look at these journeys of anyone for that matter, it always seems like a straight line, but only in hindsight. Like if I have to go back, it's been definitely some twists and turns. If I had to look at some common themes going way back, probably to childhood, it would be, I've always been fascinated as to why people do what they do. Um, so I've just... around people's motivation and and human behavior. You know, my family was an interesting mix of people. I come from a family of uh, immigrants, came from Europe, and actually my mother and my grandmother are both Holocaust survivors. And the, the trauma of the war definitely impacted them and certainly how they parented me. And I had a very different experience when I was in school with my friends and my American, my American friends and out and about there. And then my dad's family was very different. So I was always kind of aware that something was a bit off. I just didn't know what it was until later on. So then when I was in college, I studied psychology and I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I remember at the time, it must have been my senior year of college. And I saw my friends cutting their hair and putting on suits. This was the 1980s and early 1990s at the time, putting on suits to interview for, you know, Wall Street investment firms and ad agencies. And I just thought, gosh, you know, you're selling out, you're selling out. How can you do that? Um, and I, of course, had no idea what I wanted to do at the time, um, though I was also really interested in theater. And so I ended up after college doing an internship and in acting at the Milwaukee Repertory Theater uh, for a year and then ended up, going on to grad school at an acting conservatory where I took a real deep dive at looking at myself as an actor and as a performer. Um, And I had this really idealistic notion that when people come to the theater that they walk away changed. And I think I've in some ways held on to those ideals is because something that I've noticed is I've always been really interested in wanting to help people aspire to more, to be better, to be greater, to somehow grow and develop, myself and others. So as I continued on, I ended up meeting a few people who were involved with an organization, a not-for-profit leadership development organization called the Mankind Project, which is actually a a group that focuses on empowering men to missions of service in the world. And I was 25 at the time, and and most of the, the men that went through this training were in their 40s and 50s kind of going through this midlife crisis and here I was 25 because I felt like on paper I felt like I'm 25 I should feel like an adult man but I felt like something was missing and then when I did this training and met these other men I went oh these were the adult men I was looking for because suddenly I found I had these role models I felt like I got these role models of oh you know I can be a strong man but I can also be sensitive right Um, I can be really passionate but I can also be really introverted. I can do all these things and I started to see that life isn't just two dimensions. And there was something about the experience of having mentors and role models that just just kind of let my entire nervous system relax. And what I found was I was really passionate about empowering people to be better. And it was then that I actually found my, I'll call it my life mission, um, which is I create a, a vibrant and alive world by kindling the fire of brilliance in people. And so I started getting involved in doing training in schools and that transitioned to doing training in organizations and with corporations. And the theme again here has been you no, I think we all recognize that we want to aspire to greatness and the question is what gets in the way? And how do we get help to overcome those obstacles and barriers? And so I've been working in the field of leadership development and leadership training since 1997. And over these years, I've worked with thousands and thousands of groups in like 25 countries around the world. And I'm fascinated by these patterns that keep showing up, both patterns of success as well as patterns of failure. And so along the way, I always had this vision of myself as like, you know, I have this book inside of me. I want I want to share this stuff with the world. And this desire to write a book goes back literally 20 years. I've been thinking about this for 20 years. But, you know, I ended up meeting a woman. We had kids. Uh, my first child, Alexander, is born in 2004. And, you know, becoming a dad was more of a priority than kind of pushing my professional career forward. So I made some choices at the time, you know, between money and time. And I chose time. I chose to say, you know what? Being a, a great father is actually more important than pushing my career forward. So kind of writing the book and kind of continuing to put myself out there in a bigger way professionally took a back seat, frankly, for quite some time. And then in the 2013, 2014, I started blogging in earnest because I realized, look, if I wanna write a book, writers write, that's what my mentor said. He said, writers write, Alain, so you gotta write. So instead of trying to write a book, I thought, well, let me write a blog. So I started writing a blog. And at the beginning, it sucked. <laughs> I, mean, I wrote, you know, I, sometimes I'd write four blogs a day, then I'd take a break and the topics were all over the place. And then a couple of years went by and I found my voice and I started sticking to a consistent writing schedule. And I blogged every Saturday I would publish, and that went on for about four years. So here I had 200 blog posts, and as I reviewed them, I realized the blog posts had themes, and the themes could be turned into chapters, and the chapters could turn into parts. And that became the skeleton for what is now cracking the leadership code, which is this book that's coming out. So it's funny because, you know, a lot of people said, oh, being an author, that must be a lot of work said, yeah, on the one hand it is, but I think like any discipline, it can get broken down into its component parts. And the harder part, frankly, wasn't doing the work. It was kind of giving myself the mindset to believe that I could do it and then to take action and create a habit on a consistent basis. So that's a bit about me and kind of my journey to getting where I am now.
1: Yeah, I think it's important that first step for anyone, obviously, you you know prioritize your life. In different parts of your life, you prioritize different things, or different things are important to you at different you know avenues and uh, you know plateaus of your life. And I think it's important to kind of take that leap eventually, regardless of when it is. So it may take someone to do something a day, a month, a year, a decade, but doing that because obviously, if you didn't write the book, it always be kind of uh, on the back of your mind and. 10 20 30 years that's something that you would regret whereas when you release it that's something obviously you have to be proud of and it's harnessing all of your experiences and your expertise to help others
0: yeah i think you make a really great point roman around the fact is i think what was really helpful is kind of keeping that in mind in that yeah there is a certain level of discontent of going to sleep every night and going ah oh, you know i'm not moving this forward so even if it was as little as You know, I published a blog post this week. I'm a writer. I could start to believe in the belief in myself that I was a writer. And as I said before too, I think one of the things that's been super helpful is to find other people to be my cheerleaders, to be my support team, to be my court that I can rely on and talk to about this because I think so many of us have these dreams inside and we don't have the people to go to and turn to them. And there's something about the act of sharing this aloud and having people who will listen and support and then do some gentle or sometimes a little bit harder edge coaching of, hey, so if that's important to you, what are you doing today to move that forward? And then, you know, at times I've had accountability partners because I realized that I really needed help. I really needed help, even to the point where for a while when I was writing, I I bought this app, I don't know if you know, this app called Freedom, which is basically where you can lock yourself out of websites. Because one of the things I found was when I was writing, it was so tempting because I was on my computer writing so tempting to want to just like, just bug out and just like check, you know, various like news sites or play video games, or whatever that might be. So I got this, this app. So I'd lock, literally lock myself out for 10 hours a day. So I literally like, okay, I can't do that even if I wanted to. So, and I'd have my wife change the password. So I couldn't even, like, you know, do the, ma- the manual overrides. Like, don't let me know what this is. So, anyway, all of which to say is, yeah, it takes work, but, and I'm a big believer that, If you can design an environment that supports your habits, it's way more effective than trying to use willpower. Now, willpower is way overrated, which is why New Year's resolutions don't work. So the more that you can just design things where you don't have to think and you just have these habits where you're just doing the action, way easier.
1: for sure. Yeah, and starting something, then it gets a lot easier and having that. I mean, in 2020, that distraction component, it exists a lot more than it did, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So I think it's important. And I think it's important also for that uh, accountability component where you can bounce ideas through people. I think the the first thing you kind of touched upon is you kind of spoke it into existence. So I think that's kind of the first step. You have an idea, you get it out there, people hear it, you write it down, and then you hopefully take some kind of action.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think it's also really important to be okay with, you know, putting out the idea and knowing that over time that may change um, and that you change, I change. And and so realizing when the idea changes, do you listen to it? Because I know that at times in my life, I've been very rigid and kind of hard on myself. I said I'm going to do this. You know, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna push through this. You know, I, I can think of some relationships I stayed in for too long because, you know, they just they weren't serving me and, and that was just, oh, you know, I said I'd do this job and I just stuck with it. And you know, it's, it's okay to have some flex and it's okay to take stock and evaluate But at the same time, you know, like you said, is having consistent action, moving things forward, because that just creates the sense of progress. And then I I find we all get energized so much when we're moving towards progress. In fact, there's this great book called The Progress Principle that was written by a couple of uh, researchers at Harvard. And they said the number one thing that motivates people is actually making consistent daily progress towards a meaningful goal. So if you think about it, on the days that you are most energized and motivated it's probably because you are really cranking away at the things that matter to you
1: yeah i mean i think everybody well most people want to feel productive or they did did something or a feeling of accomplishment regardless of how big or how small it is
0: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I think the challenge is to not get sucked into the adrenaline of just doing a bunch of stuff just for doing its sake. You know, I think a lot of us, I know for me, you know, like you're saying, there's so many distractions and it's really easy to get sucked into, okay, I'm going to work on this project and I'm really busy. And that feeds this part of my ego. And then I'm getting these dopamine hits of achievement. And when the whole thing is done, I go, was that really that important? because if it wasn't my values it was somebody else's you know a friend of mine says about your email inbox is a very handy organizing tool for other people's agendas and the fact is everyone can want you to do other things that basically serves their agenda and the fact is we're all supporting characters in somebody else's drama right and they're happy to use us and you know not in a necessarily malicious or mean way but the fact is you know everyone has their agendas they want to get things done and if If you're there and you're willing to do that and come along, they'll take you up on it. So it is important to find those quiet moments of reflection and to stop for each of us to stop and go, you know, who am I? What's my mission? What am I really here to do? And what steps can I take to do that? Because otherwise I'm in reactive mode to that. You know, and then at the same time, how do I balance that with the fact that the world doesn't exist just for me? So, you know, as I'm saying all this about goals, let's say writing or whatever that might be. I mean, we all have goals. All our listeners here today have goals. I've also committed to being a father and a husband and in relationship with others. So, you know, there are times when, frankly, my goals aren't that important. You know, like I could spend all morning trying to connect more on this book launch, but the fact is my kids who are now almost 13 and 16, go off to school and you know that hour and a half between wake up and kind of getting them sorted and breakfast and my chance to connect with them that takes a higher priority than my book career. And so it's picking and choosing your moments and then being really clear when you're here do what's the priority for this group. So it's interesting because it's so easy to want to boil all these things down to just do this and all of it will be fine. When in fact life is complicated and we wear multiple hats and play multiple roles. So how do you go about wearing those different hats otherwise it can it can get really overwhelming really quickly
1: yeah i agree so working with obviously a large number of leaders over the years what do you think is kind of the the biggest hurdle that leaders have to get through to become great yeah so i think
0: the biggest the hurdle that leaders need to get through is actually this mindset of what it means to be a leader. Uh, you know, I've done all this research on, you know, how we lead today and, you know, the studies are not, you know, they don't they don't bode well. I mean, if you look at some recent studies, only about twenty-three percent of people in organizations think that their leaders lead well. And I was just reading something that was published recently by MIT, and they said that only twelve percent of people think that the leaders in their organizations have the mindset ready to lead them into the future. And that came out in January. And so when I'm talking about this mindset, it's it's that we've all, as leaders, inherited our patterns of thinking and behaving. Based on something. They didn't come out of nowhere. And I like to think of this as our inherited leadership legacy. Now, I read some quote, and I don't know who said it exactly, but I thought it captured it really well, talking about tradition. They said, Tradition is peer pressure that you've inherited from dead people, (laughs) which is an interesting way to say, you know, are you questioning the way that you lead? The fact is a lot of what passes for leadership today is still a holdover from the command and control style of the Industrial Revolution, which dates back to the beginnings of the 20th century. So we're talking 1905, 1910, and so much of that mindset still infiltrates what we do. I mean, you hear it in the language, We know, we talk about having direct reports who report up to us, you know, this top down. I mean, we talk about drilling things down into people. I mean, that's the language of engineering. The fact is the first leaders in organizations were mechanical engineers and they didn't see people as these wonderful beacons of human potential. They saw people as parts in a machine and they were basically trying to crank out, you know, as many widgets or whatever it was as they could. You know, Henry Ford, who's the founder of Ford Motor Company, famously said, why is it every time I want a pair of hands? They come with a brain attached. I mean, so the sense that you know people were just these replaceable parts and machines. And so a lot of leaders today are still operating from the sense of, hey, I'm in charge, you do what I say. And what we realize is that telling people what to do is on the best days that's gonna create compliance, but it's not gonna create commitment. And that's working, let's say, on a mechanical manual labor assembly line. I mean, back in those days, 90 to 95% of the work was manual labor. And who's doing that today? Very, very few people. I mean, I've worked in factories, you know, and most of the factories are run mainly by robots. And the people that are in the factories are actually controlling the robots. And there's a lot of critical thinking and knowledge work that goes on to make that stuff happen. So the fact is, everyone every employee every person who's following today has to think for themselves and so the biggest challenge that I think that leaders have is get out of the mindset that just because you have the position or the title you're not entitled to lead in fact leadership is about how can I help you how can I serve you so that you can do what you're doing better or as one of the guys I worked with said, you know, my job as a leader is to be a bulldozer and push all the crap out of the way that people don't need that gets in their way of doing a great job. So I I just love that. I mean, if I think about how am I waking up today and how can I help people as opposed to, how can they help me? Because let's face it, if you're the leader, your results come out of the results of other people. So if they thrive and shine, guess what? So do you. So I think it's real important for us to shift that mindset and stop pushing and telling, but doing a lot more pulling and asking. You know, let's face it, we all respond better to trust and respect. And so what are you doing as a leader to enable or engender trust and respect from the people that you lead? Are you taking time to get to know them? Do you, do you know as much about them as you do about your family and friends? Or do you just see them as these worker bees there just to get things done? So to me, that's the biggest challenge that they probably face.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, like you said, it's a position of servitude. And I think not all managers, people in management roles are leaders, and not all leaders are managers. So you have to kind of develop that skill. And not everybody has that kind of skill to inspire people or get people to naturally do something that they may not want to do, although it may be in their best interest. So.
0: Yeah, no, people don't necessarily have the skill, but the skills are learned. And the, and you know, and some people say, well, you know, I'm not an outgoing inspirational person. How can I do it? You know what? You don't have to be super outgoing to inspire somebody just coming over to somebody, to someone and saying, Hey, how are you feeling today? What can I do to make your job better? And just to shut up and listen, that's pretty inspiring. You know, if you give me your full complete undivided attention, that is about the most valuable thing that you can give me. And so I think we short the role of the leader and recognizing just the power of human relationships. Because just a little time on your part, let's say 10 or 15 minutes a day to really, really deeply focus and check in with somebody. Well, that's 10 or 15 minutes a day. Now they go off and work for maybe eight or nine hours. I mean, that's a pretty small investment for what could be ultimately be a big return. So we can't look at leadership as, oh my gosh, I have to go and spend more time with my people. If you see it as this cost, something that's taken, because yeah, I get it, you're busy, you have other things to do, But let's face it, I mean, the goal of leadership is to multiply your efforts. If you think that you can do it better than everybody else and your role is to be this fixer and just go around and telling people what's wrong, then why don't you just fire everybody and just do it yourself and burn yourself out? I mean, that's not what leadership's about, right? It's not about doing, it's about ensuring things get done by unleashing the potential in others.
1: Yeah, I agree. So what motivates you to succeed? Wow. I think what motivates
0: me to succeed, well, it's it comes back to that mission. I really have this vision of the world being more vibrant and alive. And when I say that vision, it's not something I just see in my head or some words on a piece of paper. I viscerally feel that in my body. Like If I was to describe it as a feeling, it's this feeling of just this vibrant joy i must have this picture like this little kid jumping up and down like on a trampoline just super excited you know and, and for me i just feel really lucky that i'm just connected to that feeling on a, on a regular basis it's this passion to want to share ideas and share tools and techniques that help people so for me it comes back to having a really clear sense of purpose and i think the other things that really helped me as well is the fact that in my work You know, I'm my own boss, uh, as it were. So I have a huge amount of freedom. Like if I want to get up and just sit around and just, you know, eat bowls of cereal and play video games all day, I can do that. Not that I've ever, okay, I have, but (laughs) the fact is I can do that. So the sense that I have this freedom to spend my day the way I want to, now that works for me. I've developed that over time, how to work without an external structure, but that's a, a big motivator for me as well. And then the chance to see the results of the work that I do, whether that's working with people one-on-one or in a group setting, or having someone read something that I wrote and then having them write back a comment, it's great to get the reinforcement. I think it's really hard to work day after day at something and not to see the fruit of your labors. So between having a clear mission, seeing the results show up, and having some autonomy and freedom to be able to do it in the way that I wanna do it. Because let's face it, Pretty much everyone does better if they can choose how they do what they want to do. If we keep prescribing, this is how you need to do that. It's micromanaging and that just, everyone just, no, no one thrives. i yet to meet anyone say, you know what I loved about my last boss is the way they'd be over my shoulder and micromanage me all the time. I love that. I mean, no one ever says stuff like that. So, so those are the big ones, those are the big motivators. And there's all sorts of research on kind of those being some key drivers of motivation.
1: Oh yeah, that's awesome. So what's one weakness you may have seen in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today?
0: Oh, yeah, it's interesting. Weakness, for sure. So um, I have been and still am rather direct with people at times. And earlier in my career, and I still get this occasionally, and the person who's awesome awesome at giving me this feedback is my wife because she's super honest. We have a great, open, honest relationship. Not perfect, but there's a lot of honesty there. Um, But I would say the directness with people is that I could, in in my mind, what I think like in service to quality or in service to a client or in service to something. That's the story I was telling myself. But the weakness was I would bulldoze over people, not in the good way bulldoze, but actually like bulldoze over them and not listen to them. And I would sort of do, I would do the fake listening of, oh yeah, got it, get it, got it, good, let's move on, let's move on. And I know that for a while I was working with a team or I was the lead of the team and I had this supporter, support facilitators that I was working with. And I remember one of them being brave enough. And I'm super thankful that they came up to me and told me this. They said, you know, Emily on the team, she breaks down in tears working with you. And she told me she doesn't want to ever work with you again and for me to recognize that oh my gosh that was the impact that i was having on someone really was hard 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 to hear because that's the last thing that i want here i'm trying to unleash human potential and i have people on my own team are in tears and don't want to work with me so that made me stop and recognize how the way i was working wasn't working and so from that point on i made a really clear uh, intention. I set a really clear intention to say, hey, let's check in with people and let's make sure that feedback is two-way and I'm not just directing, uni- unilaterally telling people what to do. Because um, I know that I can certainly be impatient and I'm definitely, I can get driven and there's a part of me that's really competitive. So I've tried to take all those qualities. I mean, there's some really aspirational parts of that I mean, I get stuff done Um, And I can I can focus. And if I set my mind to doing something, I can do it. Now I just have tried to temper some of the harder edges of that to the point where I do that, not in spite of somebody else. I don't I try not to throw people under the bus when I'm driving it. I try to make sure that we're in good shape. So that's definitely one. And it was, again, super helpful to get that feedback. Otherwise, I'd probably be doing a lot more of it still to this day.
1: Yeah and I think that kind of develops over time with more and more experiences you have with different people and I think uh, it builds that emotional you know intelligence so understanding that people work differently they're coming from different situations and they're bringing different things uh, different problems and concerns into the workplace that's not related to work and affecting how they communicate with others and you know how they react to others and just in general so i mean if someone's dealing with a death or a loss or you know a personal some kind of personal battle of depression they're going to act a little differently you know what i mean there may be a change in the the work output how they communicate with people so i think it's important not to kind of jump to conclusions to begin with and kind of understanding the situation that they there may be something more to that.
0: yeah i mean there's always like you're saying here roman there's always a story behind the story and if i don't know what it is Am I willing to have some compassion and kindness for not knowing and giving people space? Or do I have the curiosity and the willingness to ask what's going on? You know, it's so, so important to recognize that, you know, we're all being driven by something and we all have needs. And the fact is, my needs aren't more important than yours. It's just the only reason I think mine are more important is because I live with my needs 24-7. I'm crystal clear on what they are. And realizing that just because I live in my own head doesn't mean that anyone else is living there either. And that I should have some grace and some compassion for other people. Other thing, as you mentioned that too, is also there's really different there's really different styles culturally in terms of how people express themselves. Like I said earlier, you know, I'm from New York, so I'm pretty used to this kind of in your face directness. And I think like, what, you know, what's the problem? You know? forget about it you know whereas you know for people who grew up in a different part of the U.S. or a different part of the world is realizing you know it's that's not appropriate and so I've had to learn to tone down some of those things as opposed to because the other way I could go with that is go I could use that as a badge an excuse right I can say wait I'm from New York just just deal with it and just deal with it what does that say about me you know it's interesting you know I you know, people ask me about political leaders, and I'm not going to go into details with that at all right now. But you know, one thing you'll hear, you know, as political leaders are get get called out for bad behavior, you know, you'll see guys who were you know born in the 1940s and 50s and say like, "Hey, you know, I grew up in the in the 40s. That's the way things were. Like, yeah, that was the 40s, but that was like 80 years ago or 70 years ago. We have to adapt and evolve. And what worked then doesn't work now. And this is the beauty of our time with the way technology has moved and the transparency that we have is that, look, everything you say and do leaves clues. And if you're in any sort of public sphere, you are leaving a digital footprint. And it's pretty easy to track down what you think and what you're saying if you put it out there in a larger way because you're going to be using technology to amplify your platform so get with the times of being transparent and just basically my rule of thumb is look if i don't feel comfortable with anyone hearing this i shouldn't say it to anyone right because what i say to you the whole world gets to hear now so getting really clear on that is important
1: i agree so what's one piece of advice you have for the audience
0: hmm great. Oh, so many things. But you know, I would say if there's one thing that you can do to become a better leader. And by the way, when I say leader here, I'm not saying your job title. I'm talking about you in your life as a belief in yourself of if you have to work with other people to try to get something done, you're leading. So we're all leaders every day. So going back to my advice, right? So if there is one thing that you can do to strengthen your leadership, I would say find people in your life who will be honest with you, that you can trust will give you feedback about your behavior and say to them, I'm working on making myself better. What feedback do you have? Both what you think I do well and what do you think I could improve upon to become a more effective leader? And then when they share that feedback with you, the only response you have to give is thank you because their feedback is a gift and consistently find people who will do that, not just today, but three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, and then notice the patterns. Because you know what? If nine or 10 people start saying, hey, Alain, you're kind of come across as direct and arrogant. I have to stop and think, wow, nine versus one. Maybe they have a point. So if you can let down your guard, let down your ego, get a few people who will give you that honest feedback. And then once they give it to you to start to act on that because progress only comes from practice and not just once, but consistently and repeatedly over time. So the big piece of advice would be, yeah, get feedback and start acting on it because that feedback is a gift.
1: Yeah. I mean, with that whole feedback, I think the first reaction of people are are sometimes combative or defensive because they may be uh, saying something about what you think is one of your strongest qualities. You know what I mean? Or what you're the best at and they're critiquing that and simply sometimes only positioning improvements, not you need to make an overhaul. You're horrible at this. Like you can do it better. But I think personally, and I think it's human nature to take like a, you know, a a defensive approach a lot of the time.
0: For sure. But the great thing is if you start turning, getting feedback into a habit, you learn how to wear your armor a lot more loosely and you get more comfortable in your own skin. I think part of why so many of us are uncomfortable with feedback is because we've had, we've frankly, we've been burned by it in the past. So we kind of come into hearing feedback, you know, with our, our guard up and like, is this going to be okay? And And so we're really defensive as opposed to if I ask for it, and just know this is feedback. And if it turns out that one person shares something that is way off base, well, it's way off base. It's just one person's opinion. I mean, I know that for me, again, putting myself out in the world with this book and putting it in myself in a much more public way, I'm already getting comments, you know, even from my own people on my own mailing list, you know, disagreeing with things that I'm doing and realizing that, you know, I can choose to either be in the arena or I can choose to be a critic and stand on the sidelines. And as a mentor of mine once said to me, no one ever built a statue to a critic. So the fact is, there are going to be, you know, there are going to be haters, there are going to be critics. And that doesn't mean that I shouldn't seek out feedback from people that I trust. Just going to make sure that I'm doing it. But the more that I do it, the more flexible and more comfortable I will get with the process, which is actually frankly true of everything, but especially important when it comes to receiving feedback.
1: Yeah, I agree. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you and how they can find the book?
0: Yeah, sure thing, Roman. So the easiest way to find both the book and me is to go to the book page, which is a subpage of my webpage. So go to www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. And when you're there, you can actually learn all about the book and download chapter one of the book for free. And then we can stay connected in that way as well. And you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Alain, A-L-A-I-N, Hunkins, H-U-N-K-I-N-S. You can do a search there. And again, if you want to look at more of my work, it's at alainhunkins.com.
1: Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by.
0: Yeah, thanks, Roman. This has been a pleasure.